0: A lot of people say they like to eat seasonal. There is no greater way to eat seasonally than to eat a few wild plants. You know, there's so much out there. There's so many things that you can learn and discover. It's just, it's like, it's like a food amusement park. It's a wild food amusement park. And, you know, getting in touch with How someone might have eaten, you know, a few hundred years ago, living in the same place as I am. It will will change you. I started to crave more of it.
1: Welcome to the open air. This is Jesse Raisler, and you're listening to Open Air Humans, stories of how people have found a happier, healthier, more human life outdoors. My guest today is Mr. Forager chef, Alan Bergo, a good friend and artistic collaborator. Having spent more than a decade in some of the best restaurants in the Midwest before coming to foraging, Alan brings a unique culinary mindset to gathering wild food. And you can feel that in his first book published last year by chelsea green called the forager chef's book of flora as well as in the series alan and i created together in 2020 called the wild harvest now called field forest feast and very soon to be distributed via tastemade in today's discussion we get into how gathering harvesting and eating wild food with a focus on micro seasonality can have a really profound impact on your physical mental And spiritual well-being. This episode is brought to you by the Open Air Outpost, a new nature escape with luxury tiny cabin and glamping options just two hours northeast of the Twin Cities. It's a place where we've made it easy to put into practice all the wisdom we've learned from the guests on this very show. You can even book unique experiences with some of them as part of your stay. Learn more at OpenAirOutpost.com. Without further ado, So I'd love to start by reading maybe the most eloquent book blurb ever written by anyone, by Sam Thayer, about your beautiful book of flora. And he says, You haven't tasted most of the vegetables your ancestors ate. Today, everything is disdained that is too small or too green or doesn't keep for long on the produce shelf. We've been beguiled through generations into the great food for getting. But big, cheap, and easy have a profound cost, boring food, bad teeth, diabetes, and loss of the primal pleasure of interacting with the green world like a biologically normal human. How do we recover the birthright of perfect eating? By making forgotten food unforgettable. That <laughs> That is that one, what is that? A five-word sentence is so powerful. He goes on. That's the dream that makes Alan Burgos' eyes sparkle and sets his hands to work. As you'll see in these pages, his eyes and hands work very well together. Follow his guidance from the rediscovered culinary amusement park that surrounds you all the way to your kitchen and your mouth will confirm everything that your heart suspected. This real good food is worth remembering. Ugh. And those words are worth savoring. And specifically by making forgotten food unforgettable and I would I would even take that one step further I think um, with what you can experience by doing what you do which is and what you're doing by sharing this practice with other people and that's making forgotten ways of interacting with the natural world unforgettable I feel like we've forgotten how we used to interact with nature and what's possible when we spend the time and, and learn the names of the living things that are surrounding us. So um, the first question is kind of a big one, but, it, you know, it ties directly to something I've heard you say, too, which is getting outside and foraging after being in the kitchen so many hours a week gave me a piece of my life back that I didn't even know I was missing. So my question is, like, what have modern humans forgotten about the relationship they can have with our fields and forests.
0: I think probably the biggest thing that comes to mind right away for me is like our our instinct. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like we were talking about the other day, when I started to hunt mushrooms, my instinct started to kick in and I was learning, even though I couldn't even tell that I was learning, I'd go into a new place, you know, oh, it's a forest and there's lots of big bur oaks, and I would just start to know, like, oh, it. This looks chanterelle. This is chanterelle territory. I don't know how I know that, but I know that. How How do I know that? Yes. And and it is right. And so many other things are like that. You know, everything's like that. Uh, at least as far as the like the wild edibles that that I pick and and know and love.
1: And, you know, when you think about going into those spaces and I thought of it the same way. Like the, the gift you gave me in in making the wild harvest together is like, we went through all the seasons, the growing seasons together. And I learned specific things about specific species. And then the next year I was like, Oh, wow. I see how it all interconnects. And it's kind of the wax on wax off thing where you're, you know, you're learning more than you even knew you were at the time. Um, and so like, you're 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 learning on a you know a head level, right? You're like you're understanding the species and what's going on there, but beyond that, like what's happening on a more subliminal, subconscious level when you're starting to learn how the world around you functions and and your place in it. What, what did you notice? And and go and going back to what you said about like getting out of the kitchen gave you this piece of your life back. And I know like the kitchen can be a you know, can grind you down. When you started on your journey of, of foraging for mushrooms or plants, what did that start to do to your your mental space, to your mind?
0: I started to crave more of it. I started to crave kind of that flow state where when I would go out, I would go out before my shift started. I showed up early for all my shifts. Uh, this is back when I was at Heartland in St. Paul before that closed and I'd go out in the morning before my shifts and I would completely forget about, you know, you start finding a few mushrooms and completely forget about time and space or you'd, hopefully not when I have to go back into work, but if I found, there was a couple times where I found really big patches really big flushes and I had to call and say hey boss, I'm going to be late, but I'm bringing mushrooms uh, you know, you start to just kind of lose yourself and I found that I was a much happier person I found that I was more pleasant to be around if I had been outside that day. You know, kind of another one of those, like, subliminal things. Like, I don't know what's going on, but this is probably
1: better. People aren't getting as angry at me. And, you know, you said, like, you'd stumble on a patch, and, it like, that's the other thing it, it does is, like, it's working on you in a subliminal way, but the act of doing this is not only sort of profound in a unique way, but it's, like, the fun of a kid again on a treasure hunt. Right. Is the flip side of it. Right. So not only are you getting out there and having your mind refreshed, like let's talk about that part, the treasure hunt hunt part.
0: Yeah, that was that was one of the favorite my favorite parts about doing the wild harvest with you was getting to see someone else see things for the first time and and having it be someone that appreciates food because I could really tell like you got it, you know. I brought you to the secret Matsutake patch and, and you understood how, you know, how special of a thing that is and all the other stuff that we picked. you know. But to see someone else see it for the first time and to really understand, I mean, it's, it's something special.
1: I'd love to actually play the first minute of the very first episode that we did because there's ideas in there I'd love to draw out and dig deeper into. Spring is really... A restorative,
0: almost magical time of year. After being cooped up for a couple months, you go outside and there's this rebirth. The fact that whatever happens in the world, spring is going to come. Everything will be green again, even though it can look really desolate during the winter. It's like seeing an old friend and it's exciting.
1: So two things in there, um, no matter what's happening in the world, spring is going to come. And we were making this first episode in April of 2020. So there was a lot happening in the world and we needed a spring to come real bad. Um, cause nobody knew what was going to happen there. The idea that there's this part of nature that can bring you joy, that nothing can shake. Like the world can take a lot away from you, but there are these cycles and these things that are going to happen. And no matter what else is going on, you can count on that. And it's going to bring you joy is an amazing concept. Um, and also how you say spring is going to come again. And when it does, it's like seeing an old friend again. Um, when did plants start becoming friends to you? Um, and like, like, how did that happen? And when did when did they sort of take on that character and quality?
0: Well, I think the plants came to me when I needed them. And that was when I couldn't find mushrooms. Uh, I started to pay more attention because I knew like, oh, there's so much more out of here. There's so much more out here. I, I know there is. But today I got completely skunked and there was no morels or there were no chanterelles or lobster mushrooms or what have you. And eventually I started just saying, you know, I just don't ever want to go home empty handed. And I started to get to know the plants around me that I could eat better. Uh, I'm kind of lucky because I live on a farm where I can open up the door and throw a ball and hit a patch of nettles. I can walk five feet out the door and there's nettles, you know, Uh, and all kinds of different things.
1: And so we're, nettles were maybe one of the first. And then once you started identifying plants, when did you get come to the point where, because I, I, I really felt it the year after I learned who they were. And the next year I was like, oh, I know who's coming next uh-huh. week. I know uh-huh. who's coming next week. <laughs> like, when did that start to happen for you? And then talk me through like the joy and giddiness of waiting for your, your favorite friend to show up who you haven't seen in a year.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's totally what it's like. You know, you start to look forward to it in a way that, you know, I could have never imagined that when, when I was younger or even when I was working in the kitchen, when I wasn't, I wasn't able to spend so much time outside. I'd say, you know, I would probably say something similar, like a year of incubation, you know, after like the first year that I like really ate a lot of plants, um, yeah you you start to look forward and you you like you almost know you know instinctually when
1: they're going to to be around, yeah I think you start seeing the other signs and that's the that's the wax on wax off thing right It's like you start to learn what happens in tandem and what those relationships are and when things are when things are going to show up um and obviously, I think like you said the most Mm, revelatory one are like the first green things of the year after a winter and for someone who hasn't ever done this hasn't foraged i'd love it if you would just like walk us into the forest in april what do you see happening what what species are you seeing
0: well i'm probably going into the sugar bush in april and there might be a little snow on the ground still it's probably pretty cold I know I'm gonna see, I mean the first thing, the first thing I'll see is teeny tiny tips of ramp leaves poking out of the sugar bush. And then the plants that will turn purple when they're cold, uh, the nettles, you know, they'll be so young and it's still cold out, so they'll be like red. They'll have this reddish, purple cast to them. Those are some of my, my favorite ones. Just the first little young niblets that that come out. Uh, but there'll be ramps. There'll be nettles around around the periphery of the woods. There will be spring beauty, and there's probably going to be chickweed. The watercress will be really bumping at that point in time because that'll that'll get going as soon. It's going right now, even with the snow on the ground, it's just kind of under the water. But that'll get really vigorous
1: uh, once spring starts. That's, I mean, truly like a spectrum of flavors that are already there, you know, uh, in when the snow has just retreated. And I love that there's such a micro-seasonality to it. And I, I've always loved, you know, trying to eat in in season in in some regard. It's like when you can pick something at its peak ripeness and and prepare it and eat it within hours or even minutes sometimes, it's such a profoundly different experience of eating than something that's been packaged, shrink wrapped, you know, sat on a track, sat on a refrigerator, come from a different environment. And you can do that with, you know, things you plant in your garden, but with wild food, there's even like even more of a micro seasonality, I thought. To that, totally. What do you get out of eating in that way and being tuned in to that micro seasonality of these foods?
0: Yeah, I mean, you want to talk about seasonal eating. A lot of people say like to eat. They like to eat seasonal. There is no greater way to eat seasonally than to eat a few wild plants. Or to go out and pick a mushroom. You know, there is no better way in my mind to eat seasonally. Because, like you said about the micro-seasons, most people will think of seasons as spring, summer, fall, and winter. Okay, split each of those seasons into, like, five seasons or more. And then you're going to have a more accurate representation. So, you know... That's like 25 seasons. There's there's all these like little ones packed into what we would call a season. And you know, some things like last year I was harvesting pine pollen uh, and I got a re- I got the best harvest I ever got. I got half a gallon of pine pollen. I didn't even think it was possible. What, and what is this and how do you do it? So pine pollen is from the male cones of, uh, I'm harvesting it from uh, red pine, pinus resinosum, uh, really common in the Midwest, in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and there's a couple days in the spring when the male cones are going to be filled with pollen, and you can go up and you just see it blowing in the wind. You'll see it blowing off the trees, or people, if they have a, a red pine in their yard, I've heard of people, you know, scraping it off their their windows on their car because there's so much of it, but. It's only for like a day or like 24 hours. And if you get a gust of wind, it's completely gone. So I use it. I, I eat it. Uh, and I actually, I found the coolest recipe that I modified a little bit where you take, it's a Chinese recipe. They make little cones out of pollen and honey. And like, that's it. I put a little bit of butter in mine, but you wouldn't have to. And you form it by hand into these little cones mm. and then you eat it with a chopstick and it's sweet and the pond has this really cool texture and this kind of toasty biscuity taste wow. it's really it's really funky wow. but that's an example of one of the things that I'll get that I'm able to get by paying attention to the micro seasons of a year
1: when well, I think the micro seasons get at what we were talking about this idea of like things are happening to you when you don't realize it. Like, and I think the micro seasonality is it like, what do you get beyond, beyond the flavor and like the joy of eating these foods at their peak, perfect, you know, time to be eating them. Like what's that doing to your mindset to be so intimate with the landscape, to know it that well? It's, uh, you know, it's, it's changing.
0: It will, it will change you. You know, I'm kind of, like subliminally training myself in a way and you know getting in touch with how someone might have eaten you know a few hundred years ago standing in the same living in the same place as I am
1: I know you started with mushrooms I did too there's something about them right i mean they're they're magical in in more ways than one they inspire mm so much there's so much like mystery there about how they work and how they how trees communicate using mycelium we're finding out so much about mushrooms just in recent years that we didn't know so there's like a mystery that make like mushrooms are fun and they're delicious um and it's a great place to start but i'm curious for someone who is brand new to this concept maybe they haven't even looked for mushrooms they certainly haven't looked for plants like where do you recommend starting are there like a couple of species that you're like these are delicious, they're easy to ID, or do you even look at it that way? Like, wh- how do you, what do you recommend for total newbies?
0: Yeah, for, to- for total newbies, yeah, I mean, I get asked that pretty regularly. So the best thing to do, hands down the best thing, is to go out with someone near you that knows some plants or mushrooms. And there's a number of guides, a um, number of people that do that around the Twin Cities, in the Midwest, there's a number of different people. You just have to dig a little bit, you know, maybe join a Facebook group or, you know, look at your local mycological society. But a lot of these people are really approachable. Send them a message on Instagram and you can sign up to go on a hike. You know, guidebooks are are good. Plant identification apps I even use. But I use all of these things. It's like a kit. You have an identification toolkit. Like I use all kinds of things. But the easiest thing, the best thing for people to do is to go out with someone in person. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you wouldn't have gone out with me and if I would have said, hey, Jesse, be on the lookout for here's 20 you know, images of plants that we're going to pick today. Be on the lookout for them and then you're going to eat them and I'm not going to be there. They would not, you would not have been eating any plants. It's a huge. It is a huge step, and an under- understandably intimidating step, to look at a picture in a book or a picture online, and to look at something in front of you, and then cook that and put it inside of your body. When there's all the stigma around wild food, like you're going to poison yourself, and you know there's toxic species, poisonous things, you know whatever, all of that, it's a big ask to it's a big jump to look at something online or in a book and just and to think that you can know it because it's also it's also really common for people to have a plant that they want to be an edible and to try to make it fit into a box Mm -hmm. Um, sam talks about that i think in one of his books Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's a tendency people have they try to make something fit when it isn't um but really just going out with someone that knows in person is the abs. It's like speed learning. You know, you know how fast when, once I showed you a couple things, I mean, you got you got it. And now you're not going to forget ever. You right. know, right. once you see it in person. So you can you can learn by, you know, watching YouTube videos and reading guidebooks, but it will be slower. It will be a lot slower than if you go out in the field with someone and this is coming from you know i coming from me i'm a person that learned from guidebooks i did i did not go out with professionals for one on one uh tutelage and instruction really until i met Sam there
1: well and uh, you know what you're saying about learning in a book versus learning with someone who knows Landscape. I mean, there's so much a book can't show you, which is like the context, right? Of like, what else is growing nearby? What's around this? How is the how is the light hitting this area? Is it shaded? Is it sun? Is it partial sun? What's so? Absolutely, um, awesome advice. The other thing, you know, beyond, um, you know, just finding a few amazing things, cooking with them, there's, I think, a really fun way that once you do a little bit of this, you want to take it to the next level. And something I've always been fascinated with is this concept of terroir that people talk about with wine, but we don't talk about it with food, I think, as much as we we could or should. And talk about, like, where we are, wild rice. It grows here. It has a specific flavor. Winona LaDuke says she can taste what lake wild rice came from. Um, and I, I believe that. But there are so many foods like that. And I love when food can tell you about where it comes from and you created this dish that to this day is the best sweet thing i've ever put in my mouth which is <laughs> the pine barrens which is a place um, yes. and you pulled elements and you put that place on a plate tell me tell me how you did that and what is the pine barrens we go where we go it's jack pine barrens so
0: it's an area that's managed it's burned. And it's kind of a landscape that revolves around fire. So you have all of these plants that really like to be in places that have been burned recently. Blueberries are kind of the king there. And you're going to get the best harvest uh, in recent years after it's been burned. And Native Americans used to manage the barrens and burn them. Um, but people stopped burning them and then we tried to put like big red pine plantations in there and then people would wonder where the blueberries go Mm -hmm. oh where did the there's no more grouse and eventually people understood oh well it looks like you have to manage the barrens and you can't just make it into timberland Mm -hmm. so the places that have been burned are going to give you the best uh, crops of blueberries and around the blueberries when we're when we're in the barrens There's other plants too. I mean, across the street from where we pick the the blueberries, we got all kinds of chanterelles that one year, just a stone's throw. But right directly next to the blueberries, you're going to see a bunch of different things. You're probably going to see some service berries, which are great mixed with blueberries. And you're also going to see hazelnuts. And then while you're walking, you're going to smell sweet fern. So I thought to the myself, the best smell in the world, one of the best, smells, my, my for <laughs> sure. For sure. Uh, so I thought to myself, when I when I was up there by myself, you know, in that flow state, just like gre- greedily picking blueberries and stuffing my face full of them in the hot sun. Oh, I can just picture it now. And I thought to myself, I'm I smell sweet fern. I'm tasting blueberries. I see these hazelnuts, like. That's an herb and a fruit and a starch. And it seemed like the landscape was telling me, like, you need to make a dish out of this. It's just, it's like a bowl of berries, right? I just take the fresh wild blueberries. They've never been frozen. They've never seen a refrigerator. And I make cookies from hazelnut meal, like Amoretti. And I kind of crush the amaretti up a little bit in a mortar and pestle, and then I make a custard uh, scented with sweet fern, and I pour the sweet fern custard over the blueberries, and then I put some of the crushed hazelnut cookies on top, and you eat it. It's just it's a bowl of berries with sweet fern sauce and hazelnut cookies crushed all over it, and It's a lot of
1: fun. Oh my God. There's alchemy going on there. Let's get a quick hit tactical advice, right? So we talked about, um, you know, what beginners can do. What are like two or three pieces of gear, um, or tools that you'd never want to go hiking or, or, foraging without. Oh man. My,
0: my foraging bag, which is, it's an Italian model. That's kind of enclosed. It looks like a backpack. It looks like a big backpack, and that's, importantly, it just looks like a backpack. It doesn't look like a foraging bag.
1: And wh- and why is that important? Well, you know, if you're around i I'm, I'm picturing people, you, like, laying on the ground whispering about a certain mushroom you found. Is there yeah. is there a secretive aspect there to it? There is to definitely
0: you? a secretive aspect. I mean, as you saw, when we hit the greatest porcini fruiting that I'd ever seen, uh, I think filming episode five— there was people on in the woods, you know, a couple hundred yards from us that could hear me if I raised my voice to talk on the microphone. So I had to whisper into the mic talking about how cool the Porcini are. And if you're out hunting mushrooms specifically, it's a, it's a silent, uh, secret hunt, you know? You don't want somebody else in there picking your mushrooms because they're going to pick all your mushrooms and then you're not going to have any and
1: then you're going to be sad. (laughs) So hence the backpack that is a foraging basket, but looks like a backpack. And then a little knife, not a big knife.
0: Uh, When I first started, I mean, chefs are knife freaks and I'm no different. Uh, When I first started, I think I thought that morels were like a wild boar or something. And I got a giant knife that like clipped onto my hip. And in (laughs) retrospect, this is hilarious. It's like, Alan, you're not, I'm not going out to, uh, to hunt a pig. I'm hunting a stationary mushroom, get the right tool for the job. You know, Mm -hmm. I know some people that might use a plastic knife. Uh, I like a little fixed, fixed blade, but you know, really anything that's small, a couple, a couple inches long, you don't need something big. Something that'll fit in your pocket that's not going to get in the way, but you just need you need something to trim and clean things in the field. And then, for me personally, a scissors. And you know, we could take the foraging bag away, and it could be a grocery bag. Give me a grocery bag and scissors, and I
1: will go grocery shopping.
0: <laughs> that's great.
1: It doesn't take much, right, to get started. No, and get the, out there.
0: the the uh the barriers to entry with foraging are extremely low.
1: And uh, extremely accessible cost-wise. I always love you say nature's free grocery store. It is. Um, what are you reading now or have you read recently or a book that you keep going back to, whether that's about nature, the outdoors, or wild food that's, that's really inspired you? Well, I mean, all of Sam's books. I, I consult Sam's books, you
0: know, probably like on a weekly basis. Sam Thayer, uh, I think I have one on the table here. This is a favorite of mine, it's Piante Spontanee di So Alimentare, and it's a book in Italian all about cooking with different wild plants in Italy. And most of the plants, it has, it is a large list of plants that they're cooking from here. Most of them are in the United States, most of them are in North America. So it's pretty easy to look at this and and get just great ideas that I can that I can use at home for different ways to cook with wild plants. Studying other cultures, what they've done with the plants. How does an Italian nettle soup differ from a Turkish nettle soup? Those sorts of like little differences it, they're really exciting to me because then I can make something completely new by following someone else's direction, and then. Start uncovering like oh there's there's a different story about this or they do something this way uh, because it does X Y Z you know there's all these different layers. It's more than food, you know. I'm I'm learning about wild food traditions of someone around the world by reading a book is you know it's pretty cool, and it's one of the kind of ancillary benefits of what I do.
1: It's so layered in that way. It's like you get the surface level joy of getting outside the treasure hunt that makes you feel like a kid again the cooking element you're literally pleasing yourself through one of the basic human desires to eat and then yeah you can go and look what did other people do because every indigenous culture no matter where in the world turn the clock back what 200 100 200 years that's where most of the food was coming from and then i love that so much about like Everything that you post and create is like taking inspiration from all these different cultures and thinking like, what can we do with what we have here based on that knowledge and bringing that knowledge back, which is how we are making forgotten food unforgettable, right? Yes, absolutely. Is there anything else that um, you'd like listeners to consider when they either, you know, pick up your book or a book on plant ID or they go out with someone about Foraging or, you know, wild food? It's, well, I would
0: say, I think the biggest thing to know is that there is a hidden food amusement park all around you. You know, it's really, it's really true. And once you see one thing, you know, you're going to see more. And it's just like, it's like kicking a rock and finding out that, There's a glacier underneath or a mountain underneath. You know, there's so much out there. There's so many things that you can learn and discover. It's just, it's like, it's like a food amusement park. It's a wild food amusement park.
1: To learn more about Alan and cook one of hundreds of his recipes, head to forgeyourchef.com and follow him on Instagram at ForgerChef. Pick up his book, The Forager Chef's Book of Flora, at any major or culinary bookseller, and stream our show, Field Forest Feast, beginning April thirteenth, 2022, on Tastemade, via tastemade.com or wherever you stream content. Open Air Humans is a production of Credo Nonfiction. See and hear more at credononfiction.com. And we'd love to see and hear from you. As part of Open Air Humans, we're collecting something we call Open Air Diaries. We'd love a simple story from you about a moment you were out in nature and became awestruck. Tell us about a time you experienced something that made you feel a deeper or more profound connection to the world around you. If you'd be so kind to record that story on your phone is great. And email that audio file to openairhumans at gmail.com. We'll be collecting these and playing one at the end of each episode moving forward. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending your time with us and sharing your life with us. Out here, in the open air.